Good afternoon, Dennis Stewart. And last week in Health Naturally, we spoke about the potential of herbs in the fight against uh, viral infections. Mm. Do you think perhaps we're not taking the herbs, the idea of herbs as treatments, as seriously as we could be? I think that's a good point, Jane. Of course, people would expect me to defend uh, the role of herbs in, in treating disease of any form. But what disappoints me today is that herbs are still seen somewhat as a novelty, perhaps within the more within the scientific community. But in fact, herbs are viable, credible, understandable medicinal potentials. And I don't think we're looking at the herbal world enough to seek some of the solutions for health problems. To NURFM, it is Health Naturally. And Dennis Stewart, today we are talking about herbs as we often do, yes. not always, but yes, often. mainly. In connection with the fight against viral yeah. infections yeah. Yeah. and uh, the herbs actually are approved by the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Association, isn't it, aren't they? We have a very rigorous and perhaps um, leading organisation in this country known as the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And what this administration does is vet uh, products that claim to have therapeutic effects so that in Australia a product that is put out there as having a therapeutic benefit um, something, say, on, on a pharmacy shelf or a health food store shelf or even on my shelf, that product would have had to have been approved by the TGA. The claims that are made for it would have to meet the requirements of that organisation so that over-the-top claims that could be made by uh, similar products overseas can't be made legally in this country, and, and, and I approve that. So what we have already in this country is a a very good situation where a lot of herbal products have been looked at and have been seen to have reasonable support for the claims that are made for them and as such are permitted to be prescribed, marketed or sold in accordance with those therapeutic claims. Now that is a remarkable uh, leading um, situation in Australia. We, In my opinion we lead the world that way. So in order for a herbal product to be legally um, marketed, sold, prescribed or dispensed in this country, it has to be approved and meet the requirements of the vetting organisation. So therefore, uh, a large percentage, if not all of the herbal products on our shelves, the claims that they make uh, can be sustained in accordance with the vetting that goes on with the TGA. Um, so that, if you like, gives credibility to a lot of herbal products. Unfortunately, and I've observed this, unfortunately, purchase of so-called therapeutic products over the net is seemingly accelerating, and that is because many overseas countries can make claims about herbal products that, in my opinion, are just out of this world ridiculous and potentially dangerous. Um, that can't happen in this country. And technically speaking, products that are marketed in this country, that is sold, um, etc., that haven't uh, been vetted or approved, they run the risk of prosecution. And I warn listeners, and I say this seriously based on what I have seen some listeners bring in and say, look, I'm getting this product from such and such a country on the net. It's supposed to be very good uh, for, say, prostate cancer. What do you think? Uh, and you see it's a product that's been made very, very dubiously. 
uh, with herbs that uh, are overstated, frequently in dosages that are impossible to enact any therapeutic benefit. Um, that is what worries me, and I caution listeners about purchasing herbal products particularly from overseas, even though they might be cheaper. You have to be very, very sure that you're buying a product whose claims can be sustained and the safety of which has been demonstrated. And anything, you know that anything yes. that comes out in this country, from this country, yeah. has to have gone through the TGA. And look, that that is, the, that is yeah. the situation. Uh, that is products that are sold in pharmacies and health food stores. There are some herbs which are proved to be used uh, by practitioners which uh, don't find their way onto health food store counters or, or perhaps even in pharmacies. But the general rule is uh, products that are on the shelf, if you like, for consumers to purchase from good retailers, very knowledgeable retailers, uh, they have to be able to defend their claims. Mm. And, and look, th this is great because I argue very strongly that um, herbs and a sensible use of the herb has a major role to play, Jane, particularly in this climate when we're looking at uh, potential agents to help a fire, a fight the various viruses that are circulating. I believe very, very strongly, and I'm doing a lot of study on this presently, that there's a lot to be found out in the herbal world about natural drugs, if you like, that perhaps can play a major contributing role in helping fight some of these increasingly problematical viruses. What, what listeners perhaps might be fascinated to know, that there is a history of, of herbs being used to address very, very serious viral infections. And I'm speaking generically here, not about any one particular virus. But listeners might not appreciate that in the American Civil War, there was a flu virus that virtually wiped out a large percentage of the Confederate troops it was a very, very severe flu virus, which had, interestingly, almost some paralysing symptoms associated with it. Many flus take various uh, pathways, if you like. Many people talk about aches and pains with the flu that they've had. But this was a very, very vicious flu, and which virtually immobilised many of the Confederate troops and, in fact, took many of them. It was from the Indigenous population... Uh, the American Red Indians, that they learned uh, that there was a plant uh, which we now call bone set. Uh, botanically, it's known as Eupatorium bifoliatum. That herb was shown by the American Red Indians to be very useful for breaking the symptoms and leading to a recovery in many cases from that flu viruses. So herbalists today still use the herb bone set as a remedy to address some aspects of feverish symptomatology. Uh, not many herbalists, however, know that it is a useful herb to append to any herbal medicine treatment for any flu uh, situation. It is, in other words, an antiviral potential demonstrated to be effective in largely breaking the back of this flu virus in the American Civil War. Bone set speaks for itself. Addressed a flu that literally set the bones. So it's an example of what I argue uh, is something which we should still be uh, pursuing. Those of us particularly that are more academic uh, herbalists and are interested in plant chemistry and things like that, this is our responsibility 
to look at the tradition, uh, to look at the history of some of our herbs, see how they've been used in the past, have a look at their phytochemistry or the chemical constituents and see whether they warrant consideration as a complementary medicine appended, maybe, to some of the mainstream medical protocols. That's what I'm fascinated in presently, in looking at antiviral remedies. Sam Dennis-Stewart, we're talking about viral infections and herbs, Mm. and we were saying, is there something that it might be particularly good for elderly people? I think this is um, an area that really needs to be exploited. Uh, A large percentage of the patients that I see, Jane, are elderly people, and the majority of them present uh, with questions about what they may be able to do to lift their game as far as uh, preventing uh, the onset of certain diseases and also helping them manage some of the diseases that they may have. So already, already, in my opinion, and particularly in the Hunter region, elderly people are right up there in, in, in using natural supplements, even though sometimes they perhaps are a little bit... Um, uh, how can you call it, taken not so seriously by their healthcare managers, um, they don't care. They don't care. They might say, or I went to see this healthcare practitioner and uh, while he or she um, doesn't agree with them, um, they have no objection to what I'm doing. And in any case, it's frequently said, I'm going to take them in any case. So I contend very seriously that if we see ageing, as something that shouldn't be just uh, taken and accepted, if we see it as a situation that could be fought against, as I do, as I do, well, then I believe herbs have a role to play here. And other cultures, as you would appreciate, as we've just spoken, in other cultures, the taking of certain herbs is not seen as uncommon and as a very uh, accessed form of therapy, particularly in, in continental Europe as well as many Asians countries. For instance, at present, when so many elderly people are concerned about uh, viral activity, the flu virus and and other viruses, I don't think there's anything wrong with elderly people beginning to use what we call immunosupportive herbal supplements. And I frequently mention uh, two of them on this program. I will stand by them. I've lectured on them. I've prescribed them. Um, One that I uh, extol for its uh, universal virtues is is the uh, herb astragalus membranaceus. I think we spoke about it last week. Uh, it is, if you like, Jane, a, a newer member in the Western Armory. Interestingly, Western herbal medicine um, is no longer a purist system as it was 40 years ago when I began teaching and, and practicing it. Over that period of time, it has appended to its armory Uh, many herbs from other cultures, particularly from Asia. And astragalus was unknown in my early days. It wasn't even recognised. We didn't know anything about it, let alone receive teaching on it. In the last 20 or so years, it has probably become uh, the most popularly regarded, prescribed, taken, immunosupportive herb in the Western world. Hence the number of astragalus products in pharmacies, on our shelves, etc. Now, I know any product can be turned into something uh, as somewhat of a cure-all, and I caution uh, listeners about interpreting uh, my comments along that pathway. 
But if we're talking about elderly people at this stage, generally concerned about doing better during winter than what they previously have, I would say that uh, supplementing one's diet or lifestyle with the immunosupportive herb known as astragalus, and I said last week, and I will say it again, there are many formulations of astragalus in our pharmacies and health food stores. Uh, Astragalus is the leading member of any combination, and so on its own or in combination with other remedies, in my opinion, it's surfaced to the top, even in Western herbal medicine circles, as, as an agent to address immunosupport and my experience in prescribing it and teaching it and developing products based on it, certainly in the last 20 to 25 years, allows me to say to elderly people, uh, think about appending astragalus to your range of supplements, discuss it with your doctor, with your naturopath or your herbalist, very safe herb, uh, and not expensive, and offers good potential to be able to fight, help the immune system fight any challenge to it. It's a leading member of a, a team of herbs that I think elderly people particularly should consider. Dennis Stewart and Health Naturally with you at the moment on to a new RFM. And Dennis, we've been talking about astragalus mm, and you're mm. saying generally it's very good as a support for the immune system, yes. especially for the elderly. Yes. But um, any other specific purposes perhaps that you see astragalus having? Well, when we're talking about supporting the immune system, there are some um, health problems, uh, conditions, diseases, which are so difficult even to manage within the mainstream that they warrant to mention, in regards to my experience using uh, astragalus-based medication, um, one of the problems that we have, particularly in Western societies, is the assertion of the virus herpes simplex, uh, what's commonly called cold sores, and it can be um, a vicious uh, infection which can recur time and time and time again and has compromised many people's lives by the inconvenience that it causes uh, uh, all over the place. It's a nasty uh, viral infection and it's an area particularly, if we want to reduce uh, astragalus to specific conditions, it's an area where I have had vast experience in proving that nothing that I have prescribed in my 40 years of herbal medicine practice has come close to providing improvement in the coping with that condition, particularly in lessening the outbreak. Uh, I can speak of numerous cases, some of which I've lectured on and written about, where herpes simplex to me is the one of the leading diseases, if you like, for which astragalus should be considered. So you're looking at that as a, an ongoing, taking yes, it ongoing absolutely. and using it as a absolutely. basically it, a preventive. It, yeah. a, a very much so. In order to break through yeah. what many people experience where the herpes virus goes from one episode to another episode to another episode, mm. astragalus, in my opinion, prescribed correctly, prescribed correctly and usually in conjunction with the amino acid lysine, provides a very useful assault on that condition. Health Naturally on to a new RFM. Philip has rung in from Woongarra. And, Philip, you've got a question about arthritis. Hello, Hello Dennis. Yeah. Hello, Philip. How are you? Good, thanks. That's good. Yeah, I've, I've 
had um, I've been taking turmeric about a mm-hmm. thousand milligrams of turmeric mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had an injury in my knee, but they're saying oh, there's arthritis in there yes, too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, as well as my fingers, so I can hardly like I can hang on to a pen for so long and write that yes. then it becomes a problem. Yes. Is there anything else that? other than turmeric that okay. I could maybe try. Okay. Philip, it, it sounds to me as if you have what's called an osteoarthritic condition. And yep. an osteoarthritis is more a wear and tear condition, not so yep. much vigorously uh, manifesting itself in severe inflammation as perhaps rheumatoid arthritis would do. So yep. using turmeric, useful as it might be, um, is perhaps for osteoarthritis not as uh, useful as some other remedies. But before I talk about the other remedies, let me just say as a general rule, if you're taking turmeric as opposed from, uh, to the extract of turmeric, and the extract of turmeric is known as curcumin. Now let me yeah. just elaborate on that for listeners. There's nothing wrong with using powdered turmeric in order to elicit its therapeutic effect. But if you are using the powder of turmeric, as opposed to the isolated active chemical, you need to be taking a lot of turmeric in order to get a therapeutic benefit. So that's the first principle I would make, if, or first point that I would make. If you're using turmeric, the crude herb, regardless of how it's presented, capsule or powder or whatever, it's unlikely that you would get a vigorous uh, anti-inflammatory or analgesic effect with the dose that you've just mentioned. If you have... If you have a serious arthritic pain, whether it be associated with osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, if you have a more serious pain condition, turmeric would be useful. But there again, in my opinion, you would probably be better uh, to talk to your pharmacist or health food store uh, retailer and look at a preparation of curcumin appended by synergists that make it work even better in order to get a potentially better effect uh, on any pain or inflammatory activity. But if it is osteoarthritis, there, in my opinion, you need to perhaps uh, fall back on what seems to be pretty good evidence to suggest that things like the New Zealand green lip muscle, that has a a remarkable reputation and, interestingly, Uh, some of the first information occurred in medical journals in the UK as a result of British uh, medical practitioners trying um, the New Zealand green lip muscle um, on severe osteoarthritic conditions. Um, So it's a remedy that I would consider you think about. We uh, don't perhaps appreciate its benefit as much as we should, but it is available again, and the documentation of it is significant if you were to Google New Zealand green lip muscle, uh, you'd be surprised at the information sustaining its therapeutic potential in something like osteoarthritis. Next to uh, the New Zealand green lip muscle, you have to at least consider the role of glucosamine and chondroitin. Now, I know that that doesn't always work for everyone, and it is not a cure-all for all either osteoarthritic or rheumatoid arthritic conditions, but by gee, it's helped a lot of people, and I've made recommendations uh, to people to try it, and generally speaking, there is a useful feedback. So I would say that, okay, keep working with your curcumin, 
uh, well, yeah, with your, with your uh, turmeric or curcumin, but yep. contemplate, from what you've told me, giving a try on the New Zealand green lip mussel and, yep. and or the uh, glucosamine and chondroitin. Yep, okay then. I'll Google that and... Um and investigate a bit and more on that. One thing, one thing I should mention is that uh, even though fish oils are frequently uh, recommended uh, as a yeah. benefit for arthritis, my reading suggests that high doses of fish oils, and I'm talking about very high doses, are useful, yep. are useful for addressing some levels of rheumatoid arthritis, but there's not a lot of evidence that I've been able to find to support its use in, in uh, degenerative conditions such as osteoarthritis. Yep, okay then. Thank you very much for that. I'll cry. Thank you, Philip. That's great, Philip. Thank you for your question. And Ian is with us now from Metford. And Ian, you've got a problem with chronic hiccups. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, please I'm... don't, madam, believe me. Yeah, I bet it's, I bet it's very annoying. Ian, how long have you been battling it? Oh, good day, Dr. Stewart. So this is uh, a critical, it's chronic, mate. I can't eat. I get hiccups that bad that I've actually had to get, like, cable ties with a big sinker. And I have to keep putting it down my throat. Uh, it sends me into a gag, a violent gag, but it seems to reset my, my diaphragm for a little while. Mate, I, I can't keep a conversation. I've had been to a gastrologist. I'm having heavy doses of Nexium. I can take a box of 40 a day. It does nothing. The only way I can do anything is put things down my throat and that resets my diaphragm. But I've had this now for months, but it's got to a stage where no matter what I eat, it doesn't matter. It's pure food. I'm gluten-free. I'm lactose-free. I vomit everything I eat, no matter what, so it has to come up to a stage where my stomach muscles from reaching, uh, even my jaw, not too often you can crack your jaw, but when you're that crook, you just got to get everything out of you, sir. I'm trying to see a throat specialist on Monday, but they're removing at the moment. So I was wondering, is there anything else, mate? Anything? And I... I, uh... I've never treated a condition of chronic hiccups and it would be foolish of me to say, oh, yes, have I got something for you. However, however, I recollect in a very old reference that I have occasionally used, there is a formula in that text that is based on a liquid preparation of ginger. Now, I don't want to simplify the issue, but what I would be happy for you to do is to contact me in my rooms in New Lambton by telephone. It'll cost you nothing. I'm happy to help you. And that will give me a bit of a chance to see if my suspicion, based on a liquid preparation of ginger, might be of some use to you. If it, if, if it is even worthwhile trying, it is worth a go. But I will do a bit of work on it for you. You're seeing your specialists again next week. We don't want to start anything or do anything until you get... The, the best opinion possible, but ginger has sometimes quite remarkable sedative effect on upper gut conditions. Let me have a look at it for you. So can I ask you something quickly? Yes. I live off ginger. The people at work laugh at me. I take 
even though it's forty odd dollars, I take big chunks yes. and I chew on it and chew on it. I absolutely, I've I've been addicted to, to ginger for years. My wife was a Thai wife, okay. and I eat ginger like uh, babies eat lollies, children eat lollies. <laughs> you've you've probably wrecked my, you've probably wrecked my potential solution. No, but, so but honest, honest. Every time I go to Coles, I always buy two or three big yeah, nuggets. Yeah. I chop them into blocks about the size of a minty yeah. or an old fanta, and I sit there and chew on it to my mouth numb. I absolutely cherish ginger. It is my number one number one uh, food. I'll look at it for you. I'll look at it for you, Ian. Thank you, sir. May, okay. may I have your number for, for yeah, look, I'm a shift worker? Stay, I just need your number. Stay on the line, Ian, and Sally will get you the number in just a moment. Thank, oh, thank you. Stand thank by. You so much <laughs> thank you, Ian. It is to Anuari Femmes Health Naturally, and Cathy joins us at the moment from Spears Point. Hello, Cathy. Uh, you'd like to ask Dennis about fibromyalgia and osteoarthritis. Yes, hi, Dennis. Hello, Cathy. How are you doing? Oh, in pain. Yeah, dear soul. But with your, um, yeah, tell me about your your history. Well, um, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and the osteoarthritis yes. um, a year ago. Yes. And um, and I've had cortisone injections yes. in both shoulders and yes. knees. And yes. Well, this year um, I've. Um, I've had to face my husband um, being dealt with transverse myelitis, oh, and um, whereas he used to help me a lot, yes. I'm having to do so much more um, support and everything, which and also the stress factor has oh, just flared everything up worse. Dear, oh, dear. And um, I did have um, a course of cortisone. Um, about two weeks ago, but it didn't work. Okay. Now, you, are you talking about injections or are you talking about oral medications or such as no. prednisone? Okay. Injections, okay. yeah. You're, are you, are you, you're obviously under a specialist, are you, Cathy? Yes, I am okay. under a rheumatoid specialist. Good, good, good. And I did ring him and, and say, look, no, I am, it didn't work. So um, I am going back in two weeks because he's away at the moment. No, oh, that's good. And he wants to do it again. Yes. In, in the meantime, yes. you know, like, um, I just find, like, Panadol, you know, it's just like taking lollies. Yes, okay. Look, obviously your condition is very severe and anything that I'm going to mention um, shouldn't be seen as the answer, so to speak. Um, no. But I will draw on a number of herbs that are used to address inflammatory activity and also bring with them some mild analgesic potential. Now, yes. there, is, there is, is one herb that I occasionally mention on this program, but not frequently. Um, it is a South African herb, and it's known as Devil's Claw. I know that's a weird, a weird name, but if you yeah, saw... I've heard it. I have heard it. Okay. Yeah. Devil's Claw um, is, is a, a very, very useful remedy. Botanically, it's known as Harpagophytum. It was made popular uh, by the Boers in South Africa and, and in, um, in other um, Southern African parts of the world. And it has a good documentation as a remedy with uh, anti-myalgic uh, capacities. It's readily, it's readily available. It is not expensive. It should be capable of being purchased in an encapsulated form and taken in the right dosage 
it might just perhaps take the edge off mm. some of the discomfort that you're mentioning. Try, no, it try, doesn't have any, it doesn't have any uh, contradictions with other medication okay. that you take. That's a very good point, and it's a point that needs to be uh, raised with all listeners, that where you are using particularly active, therapeutically active herbs, it's wise to discuss that purchase or that usage with someone who is a professional in understanding the possibility of interactions. Simply because yeah. something is a herb, it doesn't mean to say that it is safe per se. There are some oh. situations where interact, interaction can happen, and this is where your pharmacist would be very, very useful in, in looking at that. Let me just, oh. however, cover myself by saying that generally speaking, this herb is very, very safe and unlikely, in my opinion, to precipitate any major interactions. Having said that, it is worthwhile uh, discussing it uh, with a pharmacist or a good uh, health food store proprietor who knows their stuff. Give uh, that uh, a bit of a consideration. Also, also, never, ever overlook the simple preparations based on willow bark. Never, ever look at, overlook the most old-fashioned, most historically documented uh, herb in the world with potential, when persevered with, to lessen inflammatory activity. And you can, purchase, you can usually purchase it in, in a tea form, uh, in tablet form. Uh, those are two remedies that perhaps you should contemplate using particularly for the, for the inflammation and the pain. As far as your osteoarthritis is concerned, what I've previously uh, said... Uh, on this topic today would be useful for you again, particularly to raise with your carers the use of, say, dev of the use of the New Zealand green lip muscle and glucosamine and chondroitin. To a new RFM's Health Naturally, Dennis Stewart, we're talking about herbs helping the elderly yes. fight any kind of disease. And look, we've been looking so far mm -hmm. at immunological support, uh, perhaps spearheaded. Uh, by the usage of astragalus. But as we get older, there are other remedies, some of which I've mentioned on this program over the years, which should never be overlooked, uh, which in my opinion offer great potential support to resist some of the things that we who are elderly are likely to experience. I've mentioned, for instance, the role of the ginkgo, and it's about time we spoke about it again, because uh, I was refreshed to think about it uh, as a result yesterday of two elderly patients presenting, very articulate, but very concerned about what they thought was happening to them, and that was the acuteness of their memory was uh, starting to uh, become a little bit blunted. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to know if there was anything that might give them some encouragement uh, to, if you like, resist that which is frequently appended to ageing, an awareness that our focus and our memory is not as good as it should be. Now, I know a lot of the medical guys out there will raise their eyebrows and laugh and things like that. Please, again, look at the continental medical literature. Look at the way in which in Germany uh, the ginkgo, the leaf of the ginkgo tree, has developed sophisticated, very sophisticated, natural drugs for addressing just that set of symptoms, an ageing condition where mood swings, uh, memory uh, loss, 
um, recall, all those sorts of things are seen as capable of being addressed, slowed down or helped by a sensible ongoing uh, therapeutic usage of the ginkgo. Discovered, or if I say discovered, the ginkgo uh, natural medication was developed in, in Germany, but the ginkgo itself is the, 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 the oldest tree on the planet. It shouldn't be here. It's a member of a previous uh, geological era. Mm. Uh, and if you look at the leaf of it, you'll understand why. Um, it has a, a leaf shape that's very similar to some of the fossils that we can still collect mm. in this area around here. Is it a deciduous tree? It is. It's very you, deciduous. You mentioned that it was in Sydney along the along, Pacific along, Highway, near, 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 Knox, near Knox College. And we went past there and there were a lot of deciduous trees I, I there. I can tell you a story about that, but I won't. <laughs> well, okay, we'll as, get back to the shape of the leaves. Look, it's, it is, a, it is a, a remedy which I think elderly people should think about seriously. Discuss it with your pharmacist, your health food store or even your doctor. Many doctors are aware of it. It perhaps needs to be used a little bit more knowledgeably in as much as there may be situations where ginkgo is not indicated, particularly in, in elderly people that are on complex medication, there is a suspicion, um, not as popular these days as it was when we first started using it, that the ginkgo might uh, encourage, uh, if you like, blood thinning and shouldn't be prescribed when you're on other major medications. That's contested a little bit these days. But it's one of those remedies, uh, if you like, to support that unfortunate aspect that occurs with many of us. Hey, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Is there something I can take? Ginkgo biloba in the modern form as developed by modern German pharmacists. And does that come from the leaves or from the... Yeah, it comes. It comes. In fact, you could talk about it all day because in certain parts of the world, and in Japan particularly, um, it is the the leaf prior to it uh, falling. In oh. other words, what the Americans call the fall, which is a nice term, uh, the, the leaf of the ginkgo goes from a lovely um, light green colour to a beautiful amber colour. And the amber colour of the leaf indicates the presence of a particular group of flavonoids. Flavonoids are those substances in plants that give colour to fruit and other components. The amber leaf of the ginkgo is collected and then subjected to a sophisticated extraction procedure so that a concentrate of the ginkgo leaf, 50 times stronger than that which is found in the leaf, becomes the basis of a modern herbal drug. And there are plenty of examples of it around the world. Well, that's very useful because mm. it's shedding its leaves anyway. And so, so you can, we can make use yep. of that. In fact, if you go to Japan, uh, Japan, along some of the roads, you'll see ginkgo trees and they've actually bandaged them. Now, um, someone might know, a horticulturalist or uh, a botanist might know why that is done. There's obviously some reason, or it may be, just for the veneration that is shown to the ginkgo. The Japanese um, uh, hold it in high regard. We've still got about a minute to go, so do you want to just wind up with a little what we've well, been talking about today? One, one uh, if we're talking about herbs for elderly people, look, um, the old heart. Uh, there is a, a remedy that is well documented in the writings of that brilliant 
medical doctor and an herbalist, Rudolf Weiss, again, lovely German man, where he refers to the hawthorn, berry and, and leaf and flower, as if you like com- compounding and making up what he calls a remedy for the senile heart. <laughs> and now, senile don't don't heart. interpret senile <laughs> in a bad way. Senile in that context mean, means a herb for the ageing yes. or the elderly heart. Yes. And in, in many, many parts of Western Europe, the hawthorn is held in reverence and many people in traditional parts of Europe, uh, particularly Northern Europe, would use hawthorn berry as a means of supporting all aspects of heart function, particularly a tendency for angina. Well, it's been a fascinating look at some of well, the herbs it that is. can See, I'm looking at those herbs. things more vigorously now as yes. I move from my teenage years <laughs> to, to another stage <laughs> to, of my um, life. <laughs> yes, a slightly more elderly one. Thank you, Dennis Stewart, and we'll be back again next Friday after the Midday News. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.